in a couple of weeks, we'll have all of you up, for, up front and we'll pray for you. But since we're here, um, I just want to pray. And if you're around them, can you stand up? Go put a, a hand on their shoulder. If you're around them, just stand up and go gather around them. Come on. You're the church. You're good. Come on. There you go. I'm just going to say a quick prayer here. Lord, thank you for each one of these um, doing real, like, frontline kind of work here. And we thank you, Lord, that they have everything that they need for the battle. But uh, we want to ask together that you would give them Holy Spirit power and unction right now to walk by and in the Spirit, that you would arm them with all the spiritual armor. Lord, we ask that you would cover and protect their marriages and their children if they have them and their jobs and their homes and their health. Thank you, Lord, that there is, there is fruit that is coming in and through their lives as you're calling them to shepherd groups of people. Lord, together we with them stand on you, Jesus, the foundation. You are the rock. You are our foundation that we we build upon right now. Like Leanne said last week, or last service about Nehemiah, as soon as you start building something, opposition comes, just like it did with Nehemiah. And so something is being built with these people, Lord, and we ask that you give them faith and grace and strength to put their hand to the plow, to keep the hammer in one hand and the word of God in the other hand and keep moving forward. We thank you for them. We also ask for our time in the word this morning that you would open our eyes and ears and hearts. You would illuminate scripture to us and you would anoint me to faithfully preach in a way that is in accordance with your heart for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Appreciate you. All right, Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, by the way, if you didn't hear Tim Chaddock from Reality London's sermon last week, if you weren't here, he was, he was live here all the way from London preaching last week. Um, it was a very timely and right sermon for our church. So uh, is my voice loud or is it okay? You guys good? Okay. Okay. <laughs> the sound guy says it's good. <laughs> all right, Ephesians 4 chapter 11. If you haven't heard Tim's sermon, please go listen to that. Ephesians 4.11 says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up in the full and complete standard of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, Paul says that every Christian has been given a gift of the Holy Spirit, from the Holy Spirit. Every single one of us has been given at least one gift from the Spirit. But here, Paul refers differently to these particular gifts. First of all, he says that these gifts are not from the Holy Spirit. He says they are from Christ. Secondly, he says that these gifts that Christ gives to the church are not specific types of gifts, but specific types of people. In other words, it's not that he gave teaching gifts to some people in the church, although that is also true. But here, he says that he actually gave teachers, like the noun, 
word for teacher to the church. People who are not just gifted by God, but actually called by God to fill a specific role in the church. And while Paul does emphasize these guys, it's important before we get into this, that um, we don't place these people on like some other level of status in the church, in the body of Christ. There is no like status like that in the body of Christ. There is no hierarchy in the body of Christ. He does emphasize them, but we must not make the mistake for taking his emphasis for, mistaking it for importance. Everybody is equally important in the body of Christ. These are not signs of like spiritual uh, arrival or spiritual maturity. In fact, how many of us know people who are like pastors and you're like, they're just kind of a jerk. That's because God didn't give them that because they were so mature or so spiritually having arrived. God gave it to them, like it says in verse 7, as a gift of grace. It's just like, you don't deserve it, but I'm calling you because I use idiots and jerks in the world all the time to do my work. It's just what he does. So the gifts that Christ gave to the church, by the way, I'm not excusing myself for being a jerk to you. If I'm ever a jerk to you, please come and tell me and I would humbly apologize. So Christ, uh, Christ gave apostles, prophets, it says, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. First of all, he gave apostles. Uh, we're going to break down each one of these. The apostles, uh, an apostle is simply somebody who is sent. It means a sent one. But every one of us is sent, right? Jesus sent every single one of us. Um, these are not just people who are sent like everybody else. These are people who are sent in a very specific way and for a very specific purpose. The NASB does a good job with this verse when it says that he gave some, not all, he gave some to be apostles. So there is a uniqueness to their call, as there is with all five of these ministers. And when we look at the apostles of the New Testament, the way that I would define them is as an apostle is someone who is called by God to initiate new works to bring people to or restore people to Jesus. So Jesus chose the 12 apostles, and then one of them, Judas, betrayed Jesus, and so he was out. And then they filled his role in Acts chapter 1 with a guy named Matthias. And then there was 12 again, but then in Acts chapter 9, Jesus shows up and calls a guy named Saul, who his name changes to Paul, calls him to be an apostle. And so there was the 12, and there was Paul. And these men were sent by God into the world to do a very critical thing, and they were critical for the equipping of the church and for the beginning of the church. But what about today? What about today? Are there people besides the 12 apostles and Paul who are also called to be apostles? Well, the answer is in, the answer is in Scripture, and what we see in Scripture is that there actually is other people who are called apostles besides the 12 and Paul. A couple examples are Acts chapter 14, um, where Barnabas is called an apostle by Luke, the apostle Luke who's writing Acts. And then Paul, who's writing Philippians, calls a guy named Epaphroditus an apostle in Philippians 2.25. And today, if we look at today, it certainly seems like there are people doing an apostolic type of work who are being sent by God and called by God to forge new ground in the kingdom. As I look at history, I think about people like Lonnie Frisbee and Chuck Smith right here in California in the 60s who were called by God to break open new ground in the kingdom with the Jesus people movement. That was the beginning of something brand new, and it revived even the church. I think about people like Martin Luther 
right, in the 1500s, in the Reformation. He was called and anointed by God. I think he had an apostolic call in his life to do that. There was an anointing and a call in these people's lives to forge new ground, which by definition is what apostles do. And this kind of apostolic ministry, if you will, is happening today, right? It's been happening for the last couple of thousand years, and it's still happening today. This kind of work of uh, going out and forging brand new ground, and it's essential, I believe, for the moving forward of the church. So to answer the question specifically, are there modern-day apostles? I'm going to wait a moment to clearly answer that because I want to talk about prophets first because prophets are kind of in the same boat where it's like, are there modern-day prophets? Is that like a thing? So prophets, simply defined, a prophet is someone who is called by God to speak specific words from God to specific people at specific times for the specific purpose of, like 1 Corinthians 14 says, edification, strengthening, and comforting. Now, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14.5 that he wants everyone to prophesy. And there was a lot of prophesying going on in the early church. And there was nothing in Scripture that would tell us that the gift of prophecy is not for today. But what about not just having the gift of prophecy, but being called to be a prophet Because there's a difference. So let me define the difference. Prophecy is a spiritual gift given by the Holy Spirit. To be a prophet is a calling given by Christ. The prophet Jeremiah, for instance, was called in Jeremiah chapter 1. The prophet Isaiah was called in Isaiah 6. The same goes for being an apostle and a pastor and a teacher and an evangelist. There was not just a gifting required. There is a calling required to fill these roles. Paul, for instance, says that I was called by God to be an apostle in 1 Corinthians 1. So the difference between the office and the gift is that to fill the office, you have to have a Holy Spirit calling, not just a gifting. One is something you do. The other is something you are. It's like the difference between somebody surfing and somebody being a surfer. Like, I surf a little bit, but I'm not a surfer, right? One is something you do, one is something you are. And this is important. It's the reason that we, as a family of churches, reality requires our church planners to have a divine Holy Spirit, like clouds broken, break open, God speaks to you, call, before they go out and plant a church. Because you must be called. You can't just be gifted to teach or to lead. You must be called to go out and do it. It has to be not just something you do, but part of who you are. So what about today? Are there still people who fill the office and role of prophets and apostles. I would say that if someone is forging new ground, introducing new works to bring people to be Jesus or restore the church, then that is apostolic in nature. And if someone is hearing specific words from God and then communicating those to people, then that is prophetic in nature. And if those people also have been called divinely by God, not just gifted, but called, not just to do, but to be, then I suppose, yeah, you could call them that. And I'm basing this again on Scripture because it seems that in Scripture there's people who weren't the 12 apostles also called apostles. However, a key distinction, and this is really important, a key distinction with the apostles is that those guys had very specific specific 
specific calls on their lives to birth the church and write the New Testament. I would call them apostles with a capital A. And there is no longer a need for those type of apostles because we're not gonna birth the church, nor are we going to write the scriptures. Likewise, with prophets, the Old Testament prophet was a very specific thing. It was people who heard directly from God the specific infallible words from God and then spoke forth infallible words that became infallible inerrant scripture. I would call them prophets with a capital P. And there was no longer a need for those kind of prophets who will speak forth things that will become inerrant scripture. I would call them capital A apostles, capital P prophets. And if there are people who are apostles and prophets today, then they are apostles with a lowercase a and with a lowercase p, and they do not have the same type of calling or anointing to birth the church or to speak the infallible word of God, although they may birth churches and may speak the words of God. What I don't think is that important is how we refer to them, if we refer to them as apostles or prophets. Just like I don't think it's important that you refer to me as Pastor Dom, because I don't refer to you as Evangelist Greg. (laughs) That's funny, right? So I don't think we need to go around calling each other by their titles, unless we're going to do it with everybody. Hey, Administrator Chrissy, this is Evangelist Greg, right? Like, unless we're going to do that, I don't think we need to do that. What I do think is important and vital is that we honor the call in other people in a way that allows us to receive from them. And you honor the call in me in a way that allows you to receive from me. So I do believe that the church still needs people called and anointed by God to a type of apostolic and prophetic ministry. And I do believe that that is happening and is beneficial to equipping the church. Moving on, evangelists. Evangelists are those who are called by God to proclaim and preach the good news of Jesus. Now, if you're, if you were paying attention when we read this, it said that Evangelists were given to the church to equip the church. Usually when we think about evangelists, we think about those people who are out preaching the gospel to the unsaved to bring them into this church. And that is part of the evangelistic calling on somebody's life for sure. After all, most of us wouldn't be in this room if it weren't for the evangelistic efforts of somebody preaching the gospel to us. However, there was also an equipping aspect to the evangelist, which is what Paul is talking about here. And I know what you're thinking because I used to think the same thing. Like, dude, why does the church need evangelists to equip us? Like to tell us how to go out and witness in the streets? No, that's not what he's talking about. I need the gospel preached to me as a Christian. What? You already got the gospel preached to you when you got saved. I need that. You need the gospel preached to you. Why? Why do you need the gospel preached to you? Because the gospel is not just for salvation. The gospel applies to every single moment of our lives. Because the gospel says... You can do nothing apart from Jesus. You can do nothing apart from Jesus, and I need that truth preached to me today as much as I did 22 years ago. I need that truth preached to me, not just to be saved, but to keep me. Why do we need evangelists in the church? Because they remind us of the good news that Jesus did everything, and there was nothing left to do to prove ourselves to God. Not only to be saved, but also to live as God intends us to live. Amen? We need evangelists in the church to preach to us. Four, 
he says, pastors are given as a gift to the church. The word pastor um, in the New Testament, if you ever see the word shepherd, the noun shepherd, or the, the noun pastor, it's the same exact Greek word. It means the exact same thing. It literally means a shepherd, like somebody who shepherds sheep. And pastors, like actual shepherds, are called by God to exercise leadership through nurturing and caring for the sheep, the church. And this is, this is the heart of God. We see in the Old Testament, God's actually referred to himself. He refers to himself as a shepherd. And in the New Testament, we see Jesus referring to himself as a good shepherd and Peter referring to him as the chief shepherd in, in 1 Peter 5. And so the idea here is that pastors in the church would continue on the ministry of shepherding that Jesus began. And as individuals and as a body, we need people like this. I need people like this in my life who will shepherd me to the good shepherd, to the chief shepherd himself. Um, it's noteworthy that this, this word pastor right here, when it says it's the noun pastor, uh, it's the only time in the entire New Testament that the word pastor or shepherd as a noun is given to a person besides Jesus. Jesus is always the one in the New Testament who's called the pastor. That word chief shepherd, it's translated, it means senior pastor is another way to translate that. In fact, the word that's most often given to people other than Jesus who do the work of pastoring is the office of elder. First Peter 5 uh, let the elders among you pastor the flock. Which is why as a church, uh, we, we usually call ourselves pastor elders or elders because we just see that in Scripture, and so we just try to do that. An elder, to be clear, is not some older, wealthy, successful, rich businessman who is on a board at a church. That's not what an elder is. We've kind of done that in America. I don't know why it's weird. What the Bible talks about is that the elders are pastoring the church. Lastly, teachers. Teachers are called by God to equip the church through explaining and applying the word of God. So for the early church, this meant that the teachers uh, would have been applying Old Testament scripture. They would have been applying the words of Jesus and they would have been explaining and applying the words of the apostles. But new, the New Testament had not been written yet. Now the New Testament has been written, it has been canonized, it is complete. And so teachers are, their job, our job as teachers, if you're called to be a teacher, is to explain and apply the word of God, the, the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments. So apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, these people are given as gifts as gifts to the body. So you don't like your pastor? He's a gift. That's what he says. I'm not talking about me. I know you like me, but other people. <laughs> They're a gift. It's important to note, though, guys, that, that while these are people who are specifically called and anointed and given as gifts to the body— to be these ministers, it does not mean that God will not call somebody else to do the work of these ministers and will not gift them to do the work 
of these ministers. Paul says, for instance, that some are prophets, right? That means that not all are prophets. But in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, I wish, his, I wish all of you were prophesying, doing the work of the prophet, which means that some people will do the work of the office without actually holding that office and that it's good and right and God fully does that. Timothy was called to be a pastor teacher is what we gather from scripture. But Paul said in, first, uh, in 2 Timothy 4, 5, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. He wasn't called to be an evangelist, but he would do the work of an evangelist. And God will lead us and gift us at times to do the work of these people, even though he hasn't called us to be these people. Remember, to be gifted, to do something, I'm sorry, to be anointed and called to do something is different than being gifted I'm sorry. Being gifted to do something is different than being called to be something in the kingdom of God. When we're in our sweet spot is when our giftings coincide with who God has called us to be and we can live out of that place. And these five ministers, Paul points out, are essential if the church is going to be equipped. If the church is going to be healthy, we need everybody using their gifts. If the church is going to be equipped, you need all of these operating in their calling in the church. Each one of these vital for the equipping of the body. And each one unique, which is the last thing I'll say before we move on to the next verse. Each one is unique, which this is, this is good, guys. So I'm not saying what I'm saying is good. It's in the scripture. But, and what I'm saying is good because it's in the scripture. Each one is unique, which means that we shouldn't expect one to look like the other, which is what we do in scripture or with leaders a lot of times in the church. We lump all the church leaders, the people who are leading the church into the category of like pastor teacher, and we expect them to have this crazy calling and anointing to be the shepherd and expositing the scriptures rightly. When somebody who is called by God and anointed by God to unfold and unwrap the scriptures may not have the same crazy Holy Spirit unction to shepherd people's souls unbelievably. They might be able to do it kind of well, but this person who is just called, anointed by God to see people's souls and shepherd them and lead them to the, the chief shepherd and lead them to the living water may not be able to do this thing of teaching with like this crazy Holy Spirit unction and anointing, although they may be fine at it. And we shouldn't expect each one to be able to do the other, at least not to the same degree. So um, there's, there's entire ministries that are built on this verse that we just read, um, these five ministers. I call it the fivefold ministry. They believe this is like the way church leadership should be structured. I'm cool with that. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, but I don't think that Paul's point of this passage is to give us a model for leadership. I think his point of the passage is actually what he goes on to say, which is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. So moving on, the purpose of Christ giving these ministers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, as gifts to the church is to, beginning of verse 12, equip God's people. So every time an apostle forges new ground and brings a new work to expose Jesus to people, the church is equipped in a new way. Every time a prophet hears words from God and then speaks them to the people, the church is equipped 
in a new way. Every time an evangelist not just preaches the gospel to the lost to bring people into the church, but also preaches to the church to remind us who we are and to free us from legalism and shame, we are equipped. Every time a pastor nurtures and cares for our souls and leads us to the living water, Jesus, and leads us to the green pastures of God's goodness, the church is equipped in a new way. And every time a teacher unpacks and illuminates the word of God and brings it forth and turns what was a mystery into like, whoa, this is like a revelation from God. We are equipped in a fresh and new way. And this equipping is so that God's people will be able to, into verse 12, do his work and build up the church. Let me say it again. This equipping is so that God's people will be able to do his work and build up the church. Notice that Christ did not give these people as a gift to the church to do the work. He gave these people to the church to equip the church to do the work. This is a, this is a big one. Thank you. One person said amen. Because this is a big one. We like to go like this. Yeah, I'm going to let y'all do the work. I'm going to sit back and receive like McDonald's. I want it my way, right? But what it says here is not Christ gave these people as gifts to the church so they could do the work of the ministry. It says Christ gave them to the church to equip the church to do the work of the ministry. Now listen, these people are not exempt from the church. They're part of the church. So they're not exempt from the work of the ministry, but they are not the only people who are called to do the work. If there is work to be done in the kingdom of God, then it's your job to do it, as it is my job to do it. In fact, the gifts that God has given you are actually essential to the work getting done. Like the work can't get done unless you're participating. And it's why God has given you those gifts. What is the work? The work is the work of ministry. It says it better in the NASB and the New King James. The work of ministry, that is the work of serving the body of Christ. And like it says here, building up the body of Christ. God has given all of us gifts for the purpose of serving and building up the body of Christ. And it can't happen without us. And this serving and building up of the church will continue until verse 13 is accomplished. Verse 13 is the destination. And there's two parts to this destination. First, the beginning of verse 13. First part of the destination is the unity of the faith. This is where we are, will arrive. This is what we will eventually attain. Unity. According to Ephesians 2, 11 and 12, Jesus actually purchased for us this unity already. But it is the dichotomy of the already and not yet. Jesus has already done it, and yet, I mean, look around. We're not fully unified, right? You guys with me? You cool? Okay. <laughs> it struck me this week that um, one of the two 
things that Paul describes as the destination that we're heading toward is unity. Like, this is important to God that his people are unified. Like, I've talked about my little, my little brother a bit, but uh, my mom's always calling us and trying to get us to, like, spend time together. And she did it this week again. And uh, God is our father, and we're his children. And he's like, be together. Be with one another. It's how I designed it. Jesus only prayed for a few things the night before he was crucified. But you know what? One of the things he was thinking about before he went and gave his life on the cross? Unity. In his prayer in John 17, he prays to the Father, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. Luke uses the exact same word as Jesus in Acts chapter 1 when he says, describing the early church, they were all of one mind and one accord. And you almost hear this like fascination in his voice, like, man, like why take up valuable ink on the page? Why make his scribe with this little feather pen and ink, like tire out his wrist to write those words that they were of one mind and one accord? Because it's close to the heart of God. And it's so rare for human beings to be unified like this. But God cares about it. It's the place that we will arrive at eventually is unity. And it's close to the heart of God because God in and of himself is a unified being. His Father, Son, and Spirit, all one, operating in inner Trinitarian love, theologians have called it. It is close to the heart of God, and when we are one, we express the essence of God in our oneness. It appears that two is better than one, like Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes. It appears that it's just better. We live in this radically individualistic society where pride often says, I don't need you. I got this. I got this. Or selfishness, right? Selfishness says, dude, I got my own life, my own problems, my own stuff. I don't need yours and your, and, and your stuff. Or even where shame will say to us in our individualism, I might need them, but I just I don't want to inconvenience them. I don't deserve them. And yet we were not created in isolation for isolation. We were created in community, male and female. We were created by a community. God in and of himself is a community. Father, Son, Spirit. And for community. This is how God designed it. And I believe that there is power in it. And I believe that there is vulnerability in isolation. And not the kind of healthy, bare my soul to you vulnerability. The kind of like, I'm a sheep off away from the fold in the middle of the forest, I'm going to get eaten by a wolf kind of vulnerability. When the sheep are with one another, there is a protection there. There's a strength there. In other words, you need me, and I need you. We need one another. What's crazy is that our maturity as a community of people is actually contingent, at least in part, on one another. What? 
Like we can't fully mature without one another, which is what the second part of this verse implies. When we do the work of the ministry, we'll eventually attain, end of verse 13, knowledge of God's own son being mature in the Lord, measuring up to full and complete standard of Christ. It's speaking of maturity. It's like, uh, it means to grow into like a full adult person as opposed to the immature, not fully grown, not fully developed children of the next verse that we'll look at the next time we're in this in two weeks. When we all do our part though, it's like the... um, It's like the corporate Christ, right? The body of Christ becomes like the individual Christ, Jesus himself. But we only get there together, which is why it doesn't say, we do all this until each one reaches unity and maturity. The NASB says it good when it says, we all, until we all reach unity and maturity. In other words, Christian growth and progress does not happen in isolation, This is not a kingdom silo. This is a kingdom family where we are all en route to the same destination. Tim, last week from Reality LA, said it beautifully when he was like, hey, dude, you don't don't just look around until you find the person who can disciple you and make you a disciple. Discipleship happens when many people all take take ownership of discipling one another. That's when discipleship happens. It is a family thing. So the five ministers of verse 11 are given as a gift to the church to equip the church so that we can all serve and build up one another in verse 12. And when we all do this, verse 13 is where we will eventually end up. In short, we arrive at the destination by these five ministers and every member of the body of Christ doing their part. But the point is we can't get there alone. I said that we were... created in community by a community, God himself, for community. Well, listen, we were also called out into the world in community. Jesus, when he said, go therefore and make disciples, didn't just say it to individuals. He said it to a community of people. Go therefore, and this is what we see in the book of Acts. People like Peter were called to one of these things, right? Jesus on the beach with Peter. He calls him. He says, feed my sheep, Peter. And he calls him to be an apostle. He says, follow me, Peter. He calls him to do this work. And so Peter's out there and he's like the mouthpiece of the body preaching the gospel. But then there was hands and feet of the body too. People like Stephen who were critical, who were feeding the widows, all of them making up the corporate body of Christ, looking more and more like the individual body, Jesus himself. And it was vital for community. It was vital for community. And it took a community. I read this verse earlier about Jesus praying to the Father, asking that we would be one. But check out what the end of the verse says. So cool. It says, I'm praying, Father, that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. I'm praying that they would be unified in each other and in us. And when this happens, the world will know who I am. What? Wait, there was something about the unification of God's people that exposes Jesus to the world. Like Jesus said, the world will know you are my disciples by how much you care for yourself. That's not what it said. The world will know you're my disciples by your love for what? For one another. There was something about a unity of community that exposes Jesus. 
And there is something about a unity of community that actually restores God's people. We see this in Jeremiah 1 and 31 and 33, that God uses the building up of his people to restore his people from exile. It is in the nature of God to use his ministers to bring restoration to his people through the building up of his people. And how does he build up his people? Through his ministers, through you, through me. The building comes up when we all, comes when we all do our part, which means that the plan doesn't work unless God's people participate. I'm not saying that God can't do stuff without us. He obviously can. But his plan is to do it in and through us. It's like a bus trying to get to the destination. But you're a tire, and it only works if you be a tire. But I like the steering wheel. I don't, but it's round two. Can I? No. You're not a steering wheel, dude. You're a tire, and it's essential to the body getting to the destination. If the whole body were an eye, Paul said, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. When you try to do something that you're not called to be, you're doing yourself, the family, and the mission of God a disservice. I really believe that. You're not doing anybody a favor. And I think that you're probably getting in the way of somebody else stepping into their calling because you're trying to do something and be somewhere where you're not supposed to be. In other words, the most spiritual thing you can do is not be a pastor. The most spiritual thing you can do is be who God has called you to be. In fact, for you to try to be that thing, whatever it is, when God hasn't called you to be that, not spiritual. It's disobedient is what that is. It's like a horse trying to be a zebra. It's like, yo, dude, you don't have black stripes and you're not white. Like, why? But I just, I like them. They're, you're not a zebra, bro. And the sooner we embrace who God created us to be and saved us to be, the more contentment, the closer contentment will come. There's no jackpot calling in the kingdom of God. We hit the jackpot when each of us does what we're called to do. Amen? So I'll leave with this. I'm going to ask the, the band to come up. Who are you in the kingdom of God? Who are you? Who does God say you are? Jesus had to hear, hear God's voice before he went out. Who are you? Who has God called you to be? You're something in the kingdom of God. And don't say to me, I'm a child of God. Me too. That's not what I'm talking about. There is specific callings. Like God has given you a specific genetic code he has given you a spiritual genetic code that makes you up, makes up who you are. Who is that? Who are you? Are you called to be one of these five? Do step into that. Step into that. Are you not called to be one of these five? Don't try to step into that. Trust me. There's it's too much weight. It's too heavy. It's too much pressure for somebody to try to walk in that who's not called to it. And it might not even be something having to do with your career. It might not be like, I am, I don't know, I'm just called to be a school teacher. It might not even be something like that. It might be like, I'm called to be a bridge builder. I'm called to, to connect people to people and, and people to Jesus and churches to each other. And I'm going to use my career 
and my gifts and my resources to build bridges. It's who God's made me to be. He's given me gifts, but there's also like a spiritual genetic code of identity that he said, you're a child of God. That's the foundation of our identity. But also, this is part of who God has called me to be for the sake of the church and for the sake of the unsaved world. Be who you're supposed to be for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. You said, Lord, to Jeremiah, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you and I called you to be a prophet to the nations. Lord, every single one of your children in this room, you saw and you knew before they were even conceived and you called them, you made them a certain way and you saved them to be a certain way. And so we ask, Father, that you would open up our ears to hear what you say about us. We wanna be where you've called us to be. We wanna be where you've called us to be.